What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita, back here in action on June 21st, 2022. Uh, we've taken a few weeks off, but we're back with a lot of baseball content coming over the next couple of weeks. And as you may have seen the last couple episodes, we had Mike Huff, former White Sox outfielder, on a few weeks ago. And just before that, we had a Gilbert, Arizona resident by the name of Brian Erlacher, who was a lot of fun to talk with. And today, we've got someone who also lives around those parts of town down there out in Arizona, has actually met Brian Erlacher before, um, and is one of the top baseball writers in all of the world. He's been doing this a long time. USA Today, we say hello to Bob Nightingale. It's great to have you here, Bob. My pleasure. Thanks, Jack. And uh, I mentioned, you had mentioned before that you had met Brian Erlacher. I sent him a note. I said that he, I told him the story about how you guys had met a charity function. Actually, I just said, hey, have you met Bob Nightingale? And he told me the same thing. He said that uh, you're a great guy. He loved talking with you. And seeing that you were able to connect with him, I think uh, you could work in this world of football and come for Adam Schefter if you wanted to, Bob. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, it's nice to meet a lot of people and uh, and to meet people outside of baseball, you know, like a uh, Earl Acker. So yeah, terrific person and uh, uh, people love meeting him and uh, uh, taking pictures and just, yeah, just talk with him. Uh, great, great guy. Great guy. He was awesome to talk with. Bob, what's your day like today? What's a day in the life of Bob Nightingale on this Tuesday? Well, I usually wake up and uh, see what's going on, you know, checking uh, emails, Twitter, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, today was the first announcement of the All-Star balloting, you know, with the uh, votes coming in. And, uh, but yeah, just kind of get the, uh, you know, long weekend get get rolling and uh, decide, you know, what to do for the rest of the week as far as uh, structure of what columns you want to do and that sort of thing. So since you're on Pacific time, do you get up extra early? Or when you get up, does it feel like a lot has happened? And you're like, wow, it's everything started before I got up. <laughs> you usually try to get by 6.30 or 7. But you're right. I mean, I, uh, you know, the whole world, it seems like, operates on East Coast. I think Central Time Zone's the best. Used to live there as well, uh, but yeah, uh, the uh, yeah, you're always feeling like you're way behind when you wake up on the West Coast. And when it comes down to uh, you know the trade deadline and stuff like that, you know, because of the uh, East Coast time zone, you know, then you're waking up at you know four thirty-five because you're way behind everybody else. Well, the the one plus side though is you can stay up late to watch games. I mean, that's the thing that's really tough for the, especially the Eastern time people. I mean, Central time it's tough sometimes. Their playoff games. I remember. I mean, all there are always those games out west that go seemingly till the early hours of the morning. There are a couple of those games each year, and sometimes I got to tap out. Sometimes I end up staying up and then ruining my sleep schedule. So at least you can, at least you get that the games are over a little earlier for you. Yeah, it's kind of nice going to the ballpark and you can you know watch the games already uh, have already started. Uh, you'll go to a uh, the clubhouse with the Diamondbacks or visiting side, and you see the games being played. And of course, if there's day games in the East Coast, you know, you can have breakfast with those things, particularly those uh, games on Sunday with those uh, Peacock games. You know, those things are, uh, you know, starting right when you can get up. So it's a, uh, yeah, I like I like that part where you can actually watch, you know, all the games, uh, Monday night football games late, you know, what have you. But that, that there is an advantage to that. 
Bob, who else are you talking to today? Yeah, you talk to a uh, you know by a couple agents, couple of uh, baseball executives. Not going to a uh, a game today until the, until the weekend. Saw the Twins last weekend, so we'll do something a couple pieces with them. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Very cool. Now you mentioned the All Star voting, and I think this brings up a good conversation here. Buck Showalter over the weekend said that there should be a category in the All-Star game for lack of a better expression for a utility player. Showalter said on Saturday, you can't win without one. There should be a column there for those guys. Now, I don't believe he went any further, at least with the quotes and the stories that I've read. I think that was the gist of it. And so, but it sounds like he's advocating for having a column in the all-star voting where the fans could also vote for a utility player in addition to the eight positions and then the DH. Are you in favor of this? Do you think that there, this idea might need a little work? What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you can't do a uh, utility player per se, because that's really a bench player. Uh, there's plenty of guys who start that shouldn't get in the all-star game that don't. And so a lot of times, hey, the start a guy that starts for some team, he is a utility player. You know, you uh, take a uh, Luis Arise, you know, hitting 360 for the Twins. He should be on that team somewhere as a utility player. He can play a number of different positions. So the only thing I would change for the All-Star game, and I've said this for years, is to have a designation for guys who are on their way out of the game. They should be in the All-Star game. Albert Pujols. Should be the All Star Game. So should uh, Yadi Molina. Should be the All Star Game. I remember years ago with the, uh, you know, Tony Gwynn and Cal Ripken Jr. I think Ripken was voted onto a team. Gwynn wasn't. They were both at the uh, All Star Game. I always felt bad. Like, hey, Gwynn should be playing this game. People want to see the stars play. Uh, you know, like Miguel Cabrera coming up. You know, in in a year or two, people want to see him as well. So I would like to see a designation just for a, uh, a fan favorite or, you know, long-term service. Yeah. And the all-star rosters are so big in baseball because every team gets one all-star. You can have a special designation for one or two of those guys. Depends on the year. Maybe some years there aren't any guys like that. Maybe, maybe some years there are a few of them and you could just put them on the rosters and maybe they play an inning, get a nice standing ovation one at bat and they don't have to take up a roster spot from someone who is more deserving based on the year they're having. They could both make it. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's so many all-stars anyway because of injuries, uh, pitchers not being able to pitch. Yeah. You know, instead of having 68 all-stars, it turns out to be about 90 when it's all said and done. So it's rare when someone gets left out. I know Kenley Jansen did last year. He's still kind of upset about that. Uh, now the closer for Atlanta. But usually they get it right. I like the fans having the, uh, you know, the big uh, pool here as far as who starts. And the players have more impact than ever before with their votes. Uh, the managers really have no say whatsoever now. It used to be the all-star manager would be able to pick two or three of his own guys, usually seven from his own team, which seemed fair. I mean, you're in the World Series. Why not let him have some? But now that's been taken away from the managers as well. You know, going back to what we were talking about with what Buck said, I think the core of his idea isn't a bad one. But I think if you think about it logistically, so if we're going to add a column, now are we having 10 starters in the All-Star game? Like, are we? you can't do that. 
Are you going to combine utility and DH? Maybe that's okay. I think traditionally, if a guy is a utility player who plays regularly, like Arias or last year, Chris Taylor got in, Brock Holt got in in the past, Ben Zobris got in the past. If the guy's good enough, he's going to get in the game no matter what. He might not start the game. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think Tommy Edmond is probably on the ballot as a shortstop. And the way he's playing, he could start at shortstop. Uh, he's been fantastic. Brendan Donovan, I think, is is it Brendan or Brandon? I always mix it up. Brendan Donovan? Yeah, Donovan, right? Yeah, yeah Donovan. He's another one. who He could be an all-star as a utility player, too. They, they might not start the game, but that's okay. I think it normally works itself out. If the guy is having good enough a year, they'll make the all-star team regardless of if they have an everyday position or not. Yeah, if you're if you're hitting, you know, you're gonna you should be at the all-star game. And usually if it comes down the wire, uh the all-star manager back in the day would always take a guy who can play multiple positions just to cover himself in case this game goes in extra innings. So that was always a fear, like, okay, I want to make sure uh I use some off the bench uh 9th, tenth, eleventh innings that can play multiple positions. But yeah, but it's hard just to do a utility player, because usually a utility player in that term is a guy who doesn't start every day. And for an all-star game, it should be someone who starts every day. Yeah. So they're an all-star. Well, and if you're filling out a ballot, if you're going to put 15 in each league, some, you know, the fans have done a pretty good job in recent years with voting in the guys who should be there. In the past, though, that's been manipulated. And if you do that utility player thing, I mean, God forbid some guy who bats 220 has six home runs and plays on a very popular team gets in and externally steals that spot from the guy who would have made the all-star team anyway. So I, I think it, you know what? I like the way Buck is thinking he's a great manager, but I, I disagree with him on this matter. Yeah. You just can't do that. I mean, it's one thing if your guy, I would say Dodgers had Mike Sharperson years ago. Uh, you know, the angels had the uh, leadoff hitter um, went to Seattle. He played a ton of positions and, you know, if they play every day, fine. But you can't have a guy in the all-star team that's not an everyday player. Now, you mentioned having a send-off for Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina in the all-star game. Are we not doing enough to celebrate those guys' careers right now? Because eight years ago, they rolled out the red carpet for Derek Jeter. And I, I like the celebration. I think it'd be great if we celebrated Pujols. Machado made a quote about two weeks ago saying that he thinks it's ridiculous that we're not making a bigger deal about this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm surprised we're not. I was glad Machado said that. I know the Boston Red Sox just did a nice celebration for Pujols. Gave the number five off the scoreboard. Uh, you know, David Ortiz showed up, gave him the number. So stuff like that is great. But it used to be, you know, wherever a guy went, whether it's a Mariano or a Jeter, every team would have a presentation. It'd be a nice one. You know, I remember uh, the Twins were very clever, giving all the broken bats uh, that Mariano sawed off against Twins players and made into a rocking chair. And that stuff was cool. So I wish everybody did something and kind of said, hey, these guys are great. These guys are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, particularly pool holes. I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest players, one of the greatest right-handed hitters of, of all time. And when people talk about Mike Trout, what he did the first 10, 11 years, that's nothing compared to what pool holes did in St. Louis. Why do you think he isn't getting it? Is I think it just people kind of forget yeah. about him. You know, it's like, 
you know, he wasn't New York. He wasn't, you know, Jeter and Rivera winning all his World Series. I mean, he won, you know, won a, uh, you know, a couple World Series you know, himself. But still, it's almost like forgot about. And, uh, you know, what have you done for me lately? It's like they're, everybody's looking for the nice next big young star instead of celebrating some of these guys' legacies. So, Bob, uh, you and I chatted a couple weeks ago on the phone, and there was a lot of managerial shakeups. We had well, two significant ones, I should mention. The Phillies moving on from Joe Girardi, the Angels moving on from Joe Madden. Now, both those guys entered into their situations at the same time. I know you did a lot of reporting on the Angels situation. Did either of these shakeups, these firings, surprise you coming into the season? Did you think that that could be where this heads this early in the season, or were you not surprised at all by it? I really wasn't that surprised. I mean, I knew in the, in the Angels' case, Madden had to go deep into the uh, playoffs. Uh, he wanted an extension. They said no. They said, we got an option on you for $4 million, so we just pick that up if we want. Uh, same thing in, in Philadelphia. Uh, the Phillies had to make the playoffs under Girardi. They end up, you know, even talk about a contract extension. So both those guys were in the hot seat before it happened. You know, now I think, you know, you look around, uh, Scott Service of Seattle has got to be in the hot seat. Uh, Kansas City and Mike Matheny, uh, Miami, you know, Don Mattingly. But you go around, you know, there's probably about, you know, six or seven managers that could be replaced, you know, when it's all said and done. Maybe not during the season, but after the season. Yeah, there's a lot of talk here in Chicago about Larusa. I think Larusa's safe for the season. I feel like if he's to exit, I could see it as some sort of like a mutual parting of ways after the season. But I don't. I. I. It's hard for me to imagine that Jerry Reinsdorf, who has publicly said he regrets ever firing Tony Larusa, wanting to bring him back, wanting to give him this opportunity, what that. Rick Hahn, if he wanted to, would be able to convince Reinsdorf that he could pull the trigger this quickly. Yeah, I mean, there's zero chance of him getting fired during the season. He would have to resign. That's nah, not going to happen. Uh, whenever his time does come, you'll never see the word fire in the same sentence. It'll be stepped down or stepped into the front office. Uh, I think he'll remain you know, with the White Sox organization uh, for a long, long time. Special assistant, ambassador. So, hey, I led the team to the playoffs last year. You know, it's not his fault that, you know, every single guy in that team, you know, outside of a, uh, Vaughn and Anderson are underachieving. Uh, pitching staff's been a mess. So, you know, that's more of a front office thing. It's not a manager thing. And, uh, you know, just they didn't have the reinforcements to help through all these injuries. So this is not Tony LaRose's fault. It's just the, uh, you know, these guys have to look at themselves in the mirror and get going. I mean, they've, they've grossly underachieved this year. I think defense is underrated by a lot of fans. I know here in Chicago, I'm not hearing the fans are upset at Tony. I'm not hearing anything about, you know what? This club's not a good defensive team. They got a lot of guys who are minus defensive players. Same thing with the Phillies. That's another reason why, you know, the Phillies, I think Dombrowski, he had to bring in his own guy. Um, he should get to bring in his old guy and he was able to do it at the right time because they have the stretch here. They're playing well now with an easier schedule. But I do think that with the Phillies, they're going to hit some rough patches again this year because this is not a good defensive team. Both those two teams are two of the worst five teams in defensive runs saved. And if you look at the top of the league, 
The Yankees are right up there as one of the best teams defensive run saved. And last year, they were one of the worst. I think that defense makes a huge difference, and it's overlooked uh, quite a bit by the fans. No, absolutely. I mean, the Yankees made a conscious effort. we got to shake up this defense and get it better. Uh, you look at the Yankee pitching staff. You know, and some of these guys are the same guys, but now they got some defense behind them. Gives the pitchers confidence and everything else. So, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, uh, the Phillies have a lot of flaws. They're trying to outslug their way to wins. Um, you know, I think the White Sox knew their shortcomings, but you know, you're not counting on, you know, Tim Anderson went through a streak there. It was almost making an error every game. You're not counting on that. Uh, but yeah, this is an offensive team as well with a, uh, you know, guys playing some shaky defense, trying to recover from that. So, you know, behind the plate, Grandal has been a, uh, that's been a, you know, uh, a big gaping hole where the pitchers, you know, don't trust him at all times to throw all pitchers. So uh, we'll see what happens where they can overcome that. Uh, sort of the White Sox in the right division, uh, you know, they've been playing so poorly, but still hanging around. You know, they might be more fearful of what Cleveland's doing than, than Minnesota. And if you're the Cubs, you know, you're in the right division to rebuild because there's not one team spending a ton of money there. Uh, you know, it's it certainly you can rebound a lot quicker in the NL Central, maybe more than any other division of baseball. I think the problem with the Cubs is that the messaging hasn't been fully transparent. So they want everyone to buy the marquee network and make this move over. And it's coming at a time when they're rebuilding and they haven't been fully transparent. There's actually a story that uh, a couple weeks ago, this reporter show that they started, it's basically a copy of the sports reporters, the old show on ESPN which did you ever go on the sports reporters? Did they ever have you on there? No, never no. Did. there's all the Chicago based guys. I was aware of it though. Yeah. yeah. So they got one now and it's David Haw basically said this thing. He said, this is a rebuild, not a retool. And they stopped the cameras and reshot the segment and told everyone not to say that. Um, so I think that's part of the problem with the fans right now are very impatient they've won a world series not that long ago they've shown that they can entirely uh remake and make over the club the future of the team is in is pete crow armstrong and some of these guys that you got uh say a suzuki it's not what is on the a lot of guys who are not on the team right now right so i think that's part of the problem with the cubs but like you said there's room in that division for them to get better over the next couple years and you mentioned Cleveland. I want to talk about them here. They're playing some good baseball. The Guardians are 34 and 28. And one thing I really like about this team, going back to the defense, they're actually tied with the Yankees in defensive run saved for best in all of baseball. So they're a great defensive team. They've had a good contact rate this year. They're putting the ball in play quite a bit. And they're, it's actually funny. The start of the season, their pitching was struggling. Seeing the talent on that pitching staff, you have to think that it, over the course of the season, things are going to get better. And they actually are starting to look better for them. Yeah, no, they, uh, you know, offense has been a much better than I think, you know, people anticipated. Oh, yeah. Of course, Ramirez, we're talking about Aaron Judge, but if Judge is one, you know, Ramirez is 1A in the MVP balloting. So, uh, very good defense. You know, Miles Straw was a big help from Houston. So, scary team. And, uh, you know, they haven't pitched up to their capabilities. The bullpen's been very good. Uh, starting pitching has been a little on the shaky side. 
That's a good team. Uh, yeah, I wish they'd go out and spend some more money because I think they could have, uh, you know, won a World Series or two. Uh, you know, series against the uh, Cubs in 16, they just, all their guys got hurt at the same time and just kind of collapsed, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, Trevor Bauer with the drone thing and uh, you know, Andrew <laughs> Miller, you know, on, on, on fumes. And, you know, just guys were beat up. You know, hardly had any starters there down the, uh, down the stretch in October. So, but yeah, it's a, uh, they're going to have some new ownership coming in. Uh, it's a, uh, a great, great front office. And they're not far away. They really aren't. Uh, be interesting to see if they can do something at the trade deadline. I think the Dodgers are going to be a very active team at the deadline. Am I wrong thinking that? No, you don't have that kind of payroll and that kind of fan base without saying we got to get some help. And they do. Uh, they got holes in that rotation. Uh, Walker Bueller, who knows whether he comes back. If he comes back, how long can he go? You know, Kershaw's getting up in age. Uh, Julio Arias is, you know, good, but not, you know, fabulous. There's not that rotation that would scare you in the postseason. So they got to get some help there. Uh, you know, they're fine position player-wise, and the lineup, you know, hasn't produced like they thought it would be, but they certainly have the guys to do so. But I would think they want, you know, and the bullpen's been a little shaky. You know, Craig Kimbrell. Uh, hasn't been, uh, you know, the guy he was a few years ago. So he's he's had some rocky moments. So I would think to go get our starter and go get a, a a high leverage arm. And there'll be a lot of bullpen guys available. The other thing with the Dodgers, in addition to pitching, I mean, Max Muncy is batting below 200. Turner's below 200. Bellinger's right around 200. And those are three guys who have been very key for them over this run. They're going to, and especially when we looked at this team coming into the year, we said they've got those guys. They add Freddie Freeman. They've got Trey Turner. They've got Betts. They added those guys. This team should be a cheat code. They should be unbelievable. But without those three guys, with Betts hitting the DL, there are a lot of questions for this Dodgers team. Yeah, I mean, they're a, uh, certainly a very good team. I think the Padres are a better team. Yeah, uh, they certainly have much better starting uh, pitching. We'll see how long Machado's out for. I was at Tease is out, you know, until the end of July, early August. I think that wrist injury is a little worse than they've been letting on. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But I think the Padres are going to give them, you know, all they can handle. Uh, and you're right. I mean, they, uh, you know, for you know, Justin Turner has has struggled all year. Monsi just have not been the uh, same guys. You know, that's what I kind of find amusing that whole. Uh, debate and uh, you know uproar over the Trent Larusa thing, pitching to Max Muncy. Muncy was hitting 150 at the time, <laughs> one of the worst <laughs> offensive players in all of baseball. Trey Turner's one of the top ten players on baseball. I don't care if he has no strikes, one strike, two strike. Turner is an outstanding player. I was setting you up for that because you picked the Padres to win the division, and to your credit. They're now tied for the division lead, and they've got a good opportunity to capitalize here, especially over these next few weeks as the Dodgers work through some of these injuries. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the Padres are going to be very aggressive, too, very aggressive, uh, GM. Uh, you know, I think they're the favorites to get Wilson Contreras from the Cubs. Uh, they love their star players. They need some offensive help. I'm surprised how they've struggled offensively. But pitching, you know, they're six or seven deep. Um, this is after trading Chris Paddock to Minnesota and we ended up getting hurt anyway. So uh, they've got a lot of bullets in the farm system as well, just like the Dodgers do, to go get some help. 
What do you think uh, Wilson Contreras trade brings back to the Cubs? You know, I would think a because uh, it's just a strictly a rental, and it's tough to trade a catcher midseason, not knowing a pitching staff. Uh, I would think, you know, a top five prospect from a uh, from a team, a team's top five prospect, and then maybe a, a top fifteen prospect. So two of the top fifteen uh, of a team would get it done. Uh, you know, it wouldn't cost a whole lot more than that. If you're the Cubs, you might as well get something. Uh, you know, we'll, you know, they'll get some kind of draft pick compensation, depending on all this works out uh, in the CBA. But you know, might as well, you know, get something good from him. And they need teams like the uh, Padres and the Giants and the uh, Mets to step up and try to get this guy to get that asking price up. <laughs> Who else do you think the Cubs sell off here? Uh, I would think David Robertson for sure. Be shocked to see him. Uh, you know, if you're not winning games, it doesn't make sense to have a uh, a closer. So you get something for nothing there. So I would think him as well. Uh, I'm not, I would think those would be the two biggest. You know, nobody else really, uh, you know, jumps out. I mean, they're not, not going to trade Kyle Hendricks. His value's a little down anyway. Certainly not trading Marcus Stroman. That's why they sign him to be around when they start getting good again. So I would think those two would be the big guys. Okay. Interesting. I think, I think Ian Happ is having his best year. I think he's someone they can move because I, I just don't really, I don't think he fits into long-term plans. I think got a lot of outfielders coming up to the system. I think one thing I'm really interested in as we approach the deadline last year, we saw that Javi Baez one for one Pete Crow Armstrong trade, where it's just a lot of times we see a prospect hall. Well, here's just one elite prospect. It's going to be interesting to see if that format is replicated again this year, especially for a rental player, because that's a lot to give up. Yeah, teams hate to give up prospects for rental, rentals, particularly you don't think uh, you know, you're know you going to have a chance to sign them or maybe you don't want to uh, re-sign them, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's not like the old days where teams just you know flooded with the prospects. That's why I said the Contreras, I'd say two of the top 15, but you know, no, no more than that. If you, you know, can throw in some other guys who are who are French prospects. Uh, you look at the Chris Bryant trade. I mean, they almost kept him because they weren't getting offers for him. You know, they they thought were worthy. So it, it's tough to get good prospects for guys that that are rentals. If you got another year left that contract, yeah, it's a little different story. But not uh, but not just for you know three months worth. That's why I think the Cubs are trying to extend Contreras because they could have sold them for more last year in theory. Uh, could, but my thing is if they were going to extend them, it would already happen. Uh, for my well, I mean, they could have been trying and didn't. Yeah, they weren't able to we're make close. something. We're yeah, not close at all. Yeah, he wants that's to be what I was paid thinking. As one of the top paid catchers, you know, like a JT Realmuto, you know, you got the hundred fifteen million dollars. I think he wants at least a hundred million dollars. And I think the Cubs are saying, you know, we don't think it worked that much. Yeah. Uh, but from my understanding is they never came close to an extension. So let's see. Uh, I'm working on a piece right now, and I'm going to try to come up with the top 10 or maybe the top 15 most uh, highest trade value for players. Off the top of your head, who do you think has the highest trade value if they were available? Is that you got to factor in age, you got to factor in contract, durability, all of that. Give me a couple names that come to mind for you. Well, a lot of times you got to think of uh, uh, age, how many years of control you have. The yeah. control is huge. So take, for instance, an Austin Riley of, of Atlanta. I'll yeah. start 
third baseman. Uh, he's only his second year, not making any money at all. A guy like that, you know, would be a top five in uh, in, in trade value, just because how how young you are. You know, a guy like a uh, you know uh, say a Shohei Watani uh, would probably, would be number one because you got him for a year and a half before he's a uh, a free agent, and he would have a lot more trade value than a Mike Trout, just because Mike Trout's been you know a, a fabulous player. He's been injured a lot, and he's got a ton of money left in that contract where he might not even be a top 10 trade prospect just because of that. Yeah, I the ones that I came up with so far on my little deep dive on this, Vladdy Jr., uh, let's see who we got here, uh, Austin Riley, Bo Bichette, Brian Reynolds. Um, then there are some pitchers. Sandy Alcantara has been extended five years Fifty-six million plus a twenty-one million dollar club option. Acuna is another one. His contract is very friendly long term. There are a number of good guys out there, but I think uh, you're right on the money. Kyle Tucker would be another one. He's got four years of control. So I'm I'm looking forward to putting that piece together. Yeah, by throwing the Albies in there, same thing. A nice cheap contract uh, there. But you're absolutely right about uh, Alcantara. I mean, he may be. You know, he's certainly top five. He might be top two or three because you're right. You look about how many years control and uh, you got the control and you know exactly what he's making in a very, very reasonable contract. So you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, teams look at that first uh, rather than just sheer talent because you get to keep a guy for a while. And he's the best pitcher in the National League right now. Yeah, I mean, he's been fabulous. Uh, you know, and Bryce Harper's contract is a pretty good top contract. You got, you know, it's a lot of years, but he's only making 22, 23 a year. So you can, you know, fit that into a thing. And as far as what he's doing with the Universal DH, you know, he may be top 15 a, a, as well. So, Bob, I know you got to run here, uh, but give me something. Give me a couple things to watch for this week. What What's on your radar? Well, it's interesting beginning uh, – Beginning tonight, so Tuesday, uh, the Houston Astros played nine straight games against New York, first place New York teams, two against the Mets, go to uh, New York, four against the Yankees, two more against the Mets, come back home, one more game against the Yankees. So it's a good test for those guys. They have a 10-game lead. Uh, we'll see what happens. Because see what happens that division. Uh, you know, we saw you know the Angels already fired their manager. What happens to Seattle? Uh, grossly underachieving team, you know, Seattle and Detroit were supposed to, you know, Seattle was supposed to make the playoffs, you know, one more, uh, one more wild card berth, uh, the seven years now from the GM, Jerry DePoto, what happens next? Uh, I think people in Seattle are getting tired. It's like, how long is this rebuild going on? You know, not to make the playoffs is 2001 is unbelievable. Uh, you have a lot of GMs that would love to have that job. Uh, so, you know, I know, uh, Theo Epstein left Chicago. He would like to get back in the ground floor or something. You know, if a team like Seattle, you know, would give uh, some ownership stake, I can see a, a Theo Epstein in Chicago. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, in Seattle. I think he would love to go to a place like that that hasn't won. I mean, that'd be the – if he wins a championship in, in Seattle, Chicago, and Boston, I mean, what, what a resume. What an all-time great. Yeah, yeah. I know he always talked about San Diego, too. I don't see him making a change there. But, yeah, I think he would love to go to a place that's that's number one and be on the, uh, you know, a semi on the, on the ground floor. 
One thing I'm watching for this week is the St. Louis and Milwaukee series. The Brewers were playing some great baseball. Then they really dipped. I think they lost close to 10 straight. I think it's 10 straight. And then uh, now they've won four straight. So that team's interesting. Personally, I actually like, I like St. Louis more in that division. I think they're better built for a playoff series. They're fantastic defensively. And they have so many guys in that lineup that you do not want to face. Whereas Milwaukee's lineup doesn't scare me, to be quite honest. Now, obviously, it's a great pitching staff. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that series. I'm curious, though, your read on those two teams. Yeah, Milwaukee did not win a face in the playoffs. I mean, if they had been Atlanta last in the first round, they might have won the World Series. I mean, tremendous starting pitching. Uh, Josh Hader, the best closer in baseball. Uh, but, yeah, you got to score some runs. and got to get some offense. Be, you know, interesting to see what they do at the deadline. You know, St. Louis is always good. You know, great defense, great solid offense. Can be erratic at times. You know, I think a big thing for them is Jack Flaherty. I think they need him uh, you know, to be in the rotation and pitching well for them to have a deep playoff run. You know, besides, you know, uh, you know, Michaelis and Wainwright, uh, you really need Flaherty. So uh, it's a fun series. That should be a good race all season long between those two teams. Then you got Cleveland and Minnesota playing, I want to say, eight times the next 10 or 11 days. Uh, you know, both teams are, you know, very close in talent. We'll see how long Minnesota can, you know, hold off this push. They've been uh, maybe the biggest surprise in the first half so far, but uh, they have a nice, you know, series coming up. Well, uh, Bob, anything else for today? So, no, that should do it. And <laughs> they, uh, yeah, it's always fun because so many teams have uh, Mondays off. So it's always Tuesday. You always know a full slate of games. <laughs> something crazy will happen. Some young guy will do something nuts. Some guy uh, will hit three home runs and, it seems like every night now we have a no hit watch. So who's it going to be tonight? So he's Bob Nightingale. He's over at USA Today. Check out his columns and his reporting. You can follow him at B Nightingale on Twitter. Bob, is there anything else you'd like to promote while you're here? No, thanks so much, Jack. And uh, yeah, great talking to you. All right. Great having you, Bob. This is fun. Take care. All right, that concludes my conversation today with Bob Nightingale. was a great time talking with him. Uh, always, uh, always a treat when we get to record these podcasts, and I'm glad we had him on. We'd love to have him back sometime. We're going to have another episode talking more baseball, getting a little deeper into some of the stuff we may not have had time for today with Clarence Black, the Detroit media veteran and Army veteran for that matter too and Survivor contestant. He's a great guy. We talked with him a few months ago, and I'm looking forward to digging in a little deeper. So make sure you guys are all subscribed to the Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And follow me on social media at Jack Vita Show on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Jack Vita Show. More content on the way. We've got some interviews lined up uh, with some very interesting people. I'll tell you more about that soon as the information and we schedule those interviews, but they'll be coming up over the next few weeks. So until our next episode, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>